Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for self and physical identity in 16th century Kabbalah. We are on class number three today with Professor Eitan Fishbein, who is uh, a professor of Jewish thought at the Jewish Theological Seminary. Um, since we're already on class three, I'm not gonna go through the whole bio, but I will copy and paste it in the chat in just a minute, um, as well as a few links for handouts for today's class. Um, all right, hi, Professor Fishbein. Hi, hi, Alex, hi, everybody. So today um, we are returning uh, to another, um, Another element in the constellation of uh, the mystical self, um, what will what will eventually be a, a chapter in the book version of this, and and is also part of um, uh, the larger conception of different dimensions of what constitutes a, a uh, constitutes personhood, uh, selfhood, and identity uh, among the Kabbalists, and particularly the the sixteenth. Um, century Kabbalists, um, and uh, and today, um, and I think also uh, uh, very much in keeping with one of the major uh, themes of of uh, VBM, um, we're we're going to be turning to the question of uh, mystical ethics and self transformation in 16th century Kabbalah. After having spent our first two um, sessions talking about um, uh, the question of core. Or metaphysical identity, the soul, reincarnation, all that, all that good um, and juicy stuff. First, going to be taking a um, a step, a, a slight step back in time uh, to um, to Moshe Cordovero, the Ramak, who um, who who preceded Isaac Luria and his disciples as uh, the the major leading figure uh, uh, in uh, in Sfat. In the 16th century, in the 1500s, um, following Yosef uh, Karo, uh, that other major um, halachic and kabbalistic figure, and of course, this, uh, as I mentioned before, this uh, this place and time was was a a true um, spiritual uh, creative renaissance in Jewish history and history of Jewish spirituality. Um, in terms of all kinds of creativity, and 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 we discussed also uh, various kinds of ritual innovations and uh, liturgical poetry. But part of the question, um, as it seems to me, in um, in seeking to identify the nature of selfhood, the nature of personhood, um, and also therefore. Uh, the purpose of the human life and the way it should be lived, according to the Kabbalists of 16th century Tzfat, if this is one of their great themes, this the, the question of the individual, um, understanding how they understood the process of self-transformation, self-aspiration uh, um, asp towards self-perfection, um, moral ideals uh, and so forth is 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 very much uh, key to this to this larger configuration of what constituted the 
um, the imagined, the understood, the perceived nature of um, humanness and its purpose, a life and its and its purpose. Uh, so we first um, we first uh, turn to uh, the great uh, mystical ethical classic of. Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, the Ramak, known as Tomer, uh, named Tomer, called Tomer Devora, the, the palm tree of Deborah, which um, some of you may already be familiar with. Cordovero, on the one hand, was like the Thomas Aquinas, um, right, not right, uh, asynchronously to um, uh, to Kabbalistic thought. Many of his uh, many of his works were highly scholastic and metaphysical and intricate and systematic. And um, and then he also wrote a few works <clears throat> that were clearly aimed at a broader, more accessible uh, audience, uh, both the work called Or Ne'erav, Sweet Light, which was a kind of introduction or primer to Kabbalistic uh, theology, and then... Um, and then even uh, and then more significantly for for our purposes, um, a mystical ethical manual um, called the Palm Tree of Deborah, Tomer Devora, which a short classic, which went on to be really in many ways a kind of fountainhead of the genre of Kabbalistic musar as it as it began to develop out of. Um, 16th century Tzvat, and to have a, a tremendous uh, influence on the development of uh, Jewish ethics, Jewish mystical ethics in the centuries that uh, that followed, um, both both including uh, uh, texts like Misilat um, Yesharim, the Path of the Just of of the Ramchal Moshe Chaim Lutzato in uh, Italy, and then very famously the uh, Musar movement that grew out of the Volazhin Yeshiva in 19th century Poland, um, and also, uh, very importantly, uh, Hasidic, um, uh, Hasidic moral and spiritual sources from the uh, late 1700s and 1800s in Eastern Europe and Poland. Um, so they're really developed in, in, in many ways, we can say, that the rise of Kabbalistic Musar, the rise of mystical ethics in 16th century Tzfat also had a major impact on the popularization or the spread of Kabbalah in modern Ashkenazi society. And as we're going to see here, also a kind of turn toward um, a psychologization an internalization of the metaphysical ideas of the spherot. Of course, we've already been talking about because this is a a series about the nature of the human self, right? We've been talking about the soul and the body and the interior of the person. But the Kabbalists were also very much metaphysical theologians who were very interested um, in uh, in the questions of the intricate the intricate mythology of um, the nature of of divinity as a f flowing forces of energy called the spherot, um, but uh, as developed 
both both in earlier um, uh, medieval sources and then in the 16th century and then beyond, there was a kind of psychologization of those uh, same sphere, those same dimensions of God to be understood as both, as we're going to see here, uh, ethical pietistic ideals and dimensions of a kind of mystical psychology. Um, so, so this text, which begins, as you can see, with the um, with his reflections on imitatio dei, or on imit imitate your creator, or or our kind of attempt to emulate uh, and be and, and realize one's existence, b'tselem Elohim, in the image of God, and asking the question, well, what does that mean, right? What does it mean to talk about the human self as created in the image of God? And what are the implications of that in terms of understanding the very nature of the human self and its aspirational purpose in life? So we're going to turn first um, to to uh, to the first of, of two of the two of the PDFs that are um, that are that relate to Cord de Vero that we're going to jump around um, a little bit between uh, between these three. Um, uh, and, and maybe spill over with it a little bit also into uh, into next time, we'll see. Uh, but we're going to start with the text as it begins with, imitate your creator, then you will enter the mystery. And um, and maybe uh, to uh, to 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 vary the um, to vary the the voices a little bit, if uh, if somebody would uh, be so kind as to um, be our first a uh, reader of this English translation, this English translation also by uh, the venerable translator of Kabbalistic text, Daniel Matt, in a volume you can see here from the title page. Um, actually, it doesn't say the essential Kabbalah, it just says the heart of Jewish mysticism, but the title is the essential Kabbalah, a wonderful volume that I teach from all the time and definitely recommend. Um, so do we have a volunteer? Oh, we do have a volunteer. Uh, Beth, please. Imitate your creator. When you will enter the mystery of the supernal form, the divine image in which you were created, if you resemble the divine in body, but not in action, you distort the form. People will say of you, a lovely form whose deeds are ugly. For the essence of the divine image is action. What good is it if your anatomy corresponds to the supernal form while your actions do not resemble God's? So imitate the acts of Keter, the 13 qualities of compassion alluded to by the prophet Micah. Who is a God like you, delighting in love? You will again have compassion upon us. You will hurl all our sins into the depths of the sea. So, uh, so you can see. Uh, thank you. So, you so you can see from my little brackets and my little underlines and check marks, right? Uh, um, that that you're getting this right right out of my uh, personal copy, and um, and there there are a number of very interesting things here that I just wanted to uh, take note of. We'll we'll also certainly have time as we as we usually do toward the end to have have a little bit more give and take with conversation, but just for the sake of of covering a, a, a number of, of themes right on the one hand on the one hand there there is a there is a sense uh there is a there was there was a belief that our very physical selves are theomorphic 
right? That is to say, um, not just not just that God is anthropomorphic, that God is a God is 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 imagined in a kind of superhuman like form, as um, uh, scholars of religion would say, and as we probably would would say logically, but that according to the belief of um, the belief of of um, religious practitioners. Telem Elohim, the image of God. Of course, of course, we are in the form of divinity, even even in our physical selves, in some respect, because um, we because we are theomorphic, right? We are forms of divinity. But he wants to say it's not just that. Certainly, it's 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 it's, it's only just very minimally that. Far more important is. The essence of divine of the divine image is action. Is action, right? How you are going to apply these dimensions of God uh, in your um, in your behavior and in your life, and and he starts with uh, emulating or imitating the acts of Keter, which literally means crown, and it's the highest of the ten spherot. Their God in the in the Kabbalist, in Kabbalistic metaphysics and theology is understood to be made up of ten dimensions, ten dynamic flowing rivers of divine energy and divine metaphysical light called Sphirot. Uh, not from the word sphere, but more from the sense of like Sphirata Omer, the counting, um, or maybe Sapir, like sapphire. But the highest of them is called Keter. And what's most significant uh, crown, and, and that's 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 also part it's also part of the larger Kabbalistic theology of 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 us being theomorphic in this in the and so God therefore has a kind of almost regal like uh superhuman figure right? with, with, with a with a with a crown that is worn. But but even if we take it outside of that. Um, that uh, superhuman form, that anthropomorphic or theomorphic question, Keter, which is also called Ein, Aleph Yud Nun, nothingness, and and many other terms, uh, nothingness because, not because it is nothing, um, but in some cases because um because no because no one can know anything really about it in its fullest sense right in other words it represents a, a dimension of transcendence but here also in the sense of the psychology or the moral um the the behavior the moral the action emulation it's also uh, it also becomes a an emblem of avoiding excessive pride and ego Right and thinking, right? Uh, uh, thinking um, maybe this is this is too extreme, as he sa says in other places. Right, thinking of yourself as nothing before the other person. Um, that that probably isn't necessarily the most psychologically um, healthy, given what we understand today. But this is this is part of how they how they understood it. And at the very least, it's about underscoring the importance of humility um, over pride and ego but for our purposes here at least initially 
Um, Keter is understood <clears throat> to contain within it, right, in this transcendent highest point of divinity, uh, is, un is understood to contain within it the Yud Gimel Midot Rachamim, the 13 attributes of compassion that are recited on the high holidays. In other words, that the highest, most transcendent, purest form of divinity is pure, uh, purest compassion, purest love. God is compassion and love. And if that sounds like um, another relig a religion's teaching, it's because um, it's because uh, Judaism has a lot in common with that religion. Um, and with other religions as well. But the idea that God is love, that God is compassion and rachamim, specifically in God's essence, is uh, central to, um, to Kabbalah and to, and to various aspects of Judaism. Uh, there have been a number of things that have been written about this and that are, that are, that are forthcoming um, about reclaiming the centrality of uh, both God as an expression of love and um, and and the human being's imperative to uh, to love God. So here the here the idea is that is that within Keter there are these thirteen qualities of compassion, and they are the very purest essence of the divine self. And therefore, if we are to emulate the divine self and we are to um, aspire toward a kind of um, uh, realization of the divine uh, self as, um, as Tzalem Elohim, then we must first and foremost just like all of God's self flows forth from this essential fountain of rachamim, of compassion and empathy, so to and love, so too must we, in our moral, spiritual, psychological lives, ground all of our actions in um, in the fundamental uh, force of of compassion um and the question is uh what does that mean right how how will we how will we have all of our actions even when they require dean even when they require judgment or severity how will they still be animated by uh compassion so let's let's turn let's turn to the next paragraph um, to see uh, how this begins to be um, begins to be expressed. Um, so, um, uh, and Beth, would you like to to read that paragraph, or would, or would someone else like to to, to pick it up? Or would you have to go ahead? I I can. May I interject a question? Um, sure. I'd like to save more of our conversation for, for the end, but sure, go ahead. Do we have multiple systems of how these spherot work? And the reason I ask that is I thought that Keter was one of the um, inaccessible and unknowable spherot. 
yes. those so, human beings yeah. were associated with those lower down on the tree, as it were. And so it leads me to the question of how would we even know that these qualities of compassion were associated with Keter? We'll save we'll save a, a deeper discussion of that for 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 uh, um, for for a little bit later. But I'll just say very briefly um, that that uh, you're absolutely right that that Keter uh, in part as reflected in the fact that it's also called Ayin Aleph Yud. Nun, nothingness, right? That nothing can be known. That it's that it is transcendent. Um, was certainly understood that way by many Kabbalists, uh, but there was also there were also different views of of some of these things and how and and to what extent can certain elements of the Sfirot be known? In fact, there was one Kabbalist uh, from the thirteenth, fourteenth century. Um, Isaac of Akko, who who I spent quite a number of years uh, um, in conversation with, that resulted in in my first academic book, uh, "Is Light Before Dawn: The Inner World of Medieval Kabbalists," who actually argued that the mind should try to ascend all the way to Ein Sof, to mm. to infinity, as uh, uh, right uh, that that was a kind of locale of consciousness, and from there to go to the other sphere. Um, but but let's let's bra- let's let's bracket that just a little bit just just a little bit further for now, and and here um, he is asserting that um, at the very top at the very but before anything else manifests of divinity and maybe that's that's related to this question of what is transcendent and what is manifest before dimensions of of God and then also of the human as the human being emulates that divine self, there is just pure compassion, right? With no no, um, intermixture of, um, of, of of other emotions. We haven't yet gotten even to the question of of Chochmah and Bina and Chesed and Gebura, right? Of, of issues of knowing, of issues of of issues of grace versus severity, um, and so on. Um, so the the fund the fundamental principle, um, as I was mentioning before, is that is that here the ideal self, the aspirational self, is one that seeks to. First and foremost, be loving, compassionate, and empathic, like God, and have all of one's actions, even if they have other valences and manifestations as they go lower down the chain, to still be animated by that fundamental compassion, rachamim, empathy, and love. Um, so here he gives us in this next paragraph, he gives us a kind of um, uh, ethical imperative. So, so if you, so so if you if you wouldn't mind reading for us, you should desire the well-being of your fellow creature. You should desire the well-being of your fellow creature, eyeing his good fortune benevolently. Let his honor be as precious to you as your own, for you and your fellow are one and the same. That is why we are commanded, love your neighbor as yourself. You should desire what is right for your fellow. Never denigrate him or wish for his disgrace. 
just as God desires neither our disgrace nor our suffering because of our close relationship with him, so you should not desire someone else's disgrace, suffering, or ruin. You should feel as bad for such suffering as if it were your own. Similarly, rejoice over another's good fortune as if you were basking in it. So there are, thank you. So there, so there are a, num a number of really interesting statements here, uh, um, which we will, um, and we'll, we'll circle back to some of this, uh, both in this session and, and in the next session, because I think it's, I think it's extremely important and relates both to uh, moral ideals and the question of emotions uh, in, in the nature of the self, which, um, which I think uh, blends together in some ways. And we'll, we'll also see this perhaps in, in a text by by Isaiah Horowitz and and also a text um, today um, by uh, at least attributed teaching attributed to um, to Isaac Luria um, here saying always wish for the best and for and for good fortune for your fellow creature um, and let let their honor be as precious to you as your own for you and your fellow are one and the same love your neighbor as yourself which is which is which is actually uh, which on the one hand is a very beautiful notion on the other hand if we stop and think about it um it also underscores the um the idea that that uh, our our most primal powerful sense of love and 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 well-being is to a certain extent self-interest and self-love right it's it's that you should love someone as much as you love yourself right if you, if you love someone as much as you love yourself then that's pretty great right so so that so that would also seem to indicate um a kind of veiled um a kind of veiled awareness that we that we do have a kind of strong whether it's a survivalist instinct or whether it's a sense of of uh, self-love and self-compassion which is also extremely important but um but nevertheless uh right because, because there are other versions of 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 articulating the ideal of love your neighbors yourself which is found in, which is found in leviticus but you also find the statement the famous statement both of hillel and then of of, um, of of that which is hateful to your neighbor, do not do unto that which is hateful to you, do not do unto your neighbor. Right, right. Um, the rest is commentary. Go and learn. And essentially, we see uh, a, the same version of that in the Sermon on the Mount in uh, in the New Testament. And and uh, and I think that there's good reason to argue that in many ways Jesus of Nazareth was was of a kind of intellectual lineage of the school of Hillel at the time um right as opposed to Shammai who was who was on, who was part of the Sanhedrin at the time of Jesus um so the so these these I, these ideas were actually um uh deeply shared um but you should specifically not you should you should desire what is right and good for your fellow and and that and that should be the 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 commandment, the imperative of Kamocha. You should love your neighbor or your fellow as yourself, and you should never denigrate them or wish for their disgrace or suffering. 
or ruin. And you should feel as bad for such suffering as if it was your own, right? Uh, in other words, in other words, true empathy, right? Not just, not even, not even necessarily just sympathy, which which would which indicates a kind of removed from the object, as it were, of um, um, of mercy or compassion. Right, mercy. Uh, I, I don't like quite as much because it, ha it has a kind of narcissism about it. And also the idea of pity has has an element of narcissism about it as well. And there have been there have actually been those who have, who have talked about that in, in around the question of of forgiveness in terms of in terms of its potential for narcissism, both Martha Nussbaum and Moshe Halberstal in different ways. But what it's saying here specifically is that you is that you should you should not denigrate another person. You should not dis you should not embarrass them disgrace them or wish for that or wish for that or their suffering or their ruin and you should care about it as much as your own self-interest to not be disgraced right again this this idea that uh that that it will help us understand how important it is if we frame it in the sense of that we that we wouldn't we wouldn't want to experience that right or treat other people how you want to be treated um as uh, as not only um Hillel uh, and Jesus and others, but also our kindergarten teachers um, uh, uh, teach us as well, right? It's a it's a fundamental it's a fundamental sense of fairness and of and of and of the just, right? Even if we even if we look at uh, the core principle uh, behind John Rawls' theory of justice in his famous book, um, both the inviolability of the individual for the sake of the larger community, which is itself a controversial principle, but also the very notion of justice as fairness, justice as fairness. There is a strong uh, push uh, toward, uh, there's a strong push toward this, this question of, of empathy and compassion and if we just uh, skip ahead to the um to the next page page three of the packet um and it's uh where we see um a, a, a variety of articulations of this right uh, this is how you should behave toward your fellow human being don't don't bear a grudge from the anger that you felt right that's e perhaps easier said than done and therefore um, a kind of very powerful, aspirational, moral ideal, right? And even try to cultivate a more intimate relationship with them um, than those who have been completely righteous with you, right? Which, which is, which he says elsewhere here, and which we we know from the tradition that says that those who are baalei teshuva, those who are those those who repent from previous um uh, misdeeds are even more righteous than those who were perfect from the begin from the beginning um and these are some of the qualities by which you resemble your creator the sublime qualities of compassion of rachamim have a precious characteristic just as you conduct yourself below so are you worthy of opening the corresponding sublime quality above exactly as you behave so it emanates from above and you cause that quality to shine in the world so there's a kind of 
there's a kind of theurgical, like impact impacting the divine uh, element to one's moral, uh, spiritual moral actions, right? These sublime qualities of enacting compassion and empathy and love. Not only are you doing good in a kind of abstract and even concrete way, and not only are you embodying uh, divinity in your actions, but you are also stimulating theurgically the flow of God's very luminous self through the cosmos, the universe, the world. You are bringing the qual that quality of divinity in emanational flow and life force down into the lower world and causing that quality to shine um, in the world. Which is very, which 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 seems to be very significant here, right? Because that's that's a core element of Kabbalistic thought that what we do in this world has a direct impact upon the divine world. It's a it's a theurgical principle of tikkun, right? Where tikkun olam comes from, is that what we do in this world, both for the negative and for the positive, has a stimulating effect upon drawing down the divine energies, upon affecting God's very self. So what we do in this world, in this case, a life of, of moral practice and attitude and posture, and specifically that of having rachamim, compassion, empathy, love, animate everything, affects the whole world affects the whole universe, affects God's very self, affects God's very self. And, and um, uh, right, as, um, uh, as Beth had pointed out, right, in this, in this, you can see there with that arrow that I have there in the, in the margin, although Keter transcends all the other qualities, nevertheless, it's, it is supposed to represent the ideals of humility, right? That our that our ability to be truly compassionate stems from being able to get over our own egos, to be able to be humble enough to do that, right? And that is a fundamental principle. And interestingly, also, it it talks about a kind of embrace of the whole. Of 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 the whole um, chain of being, God nourishes everything from the horned buffalo to nits, disdaining no creature. For if God disdained creatures due to their insignificance, they could not endure for even a moment. And we see we see a very powerful articulation of this centuries later in uh, in the writings of um, of Rav Cook um, and and others, for sure. That uh, that all creatures are are of great significance, and they all um, are imbued with divinity. But ra so rather, you as a person in realizing your best self, your aspirational self, um, you should gaze and emanate compassion upon them all. Um, in other words, uh, rather, that's what God does, and you should emulate that. So should you be good to all creatures. So should you should be good to all creatures, all creatures. Um, I have to remember that the next time 
um, the next time I encounter a mosquito. Uh, disdaining none. Uh, even the most significant creature should assume importance in your eyes. Attend to it. Do good to whomever needs your goodness. Um, but I, I, I want us to before before we uh, before we enter a, a period of, of where we can have some some Q and A and some discussion. And, and I think that that uh, we'll 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 uh, we'll definitely have a part two of this as it relates to both emotion and and moral practice next time. I want to share with you this next piece, which is uh, also really a kind of um, a kind of uh, mindful meditation or embodied meditation about this very thing. It says it's at the bottom of page eighty-four of the Essential Kabbalah: Your forehead, your forehead, should not be tense at all. Right. Good luck to us, but that's our that's our goal but rather always resemble the forehead of the will, or ratzon, which is another term for keter, ratzon, will. And why should it be not tense and resemble that highest form of divinity? So that you soothe everyone. So that you soothe everyone. Right? We first need to have a kind of calmness in our own embodied self, which and and this also this also reminds me of the of the way in which our consciousness and practice of tuning into our bodies is deeply related to our emotional consciousness and growth and transformation in mindfulness practice that grows out of buddhist and neo buddhist practice as well right so so the first part of this let's say um uh, uh, Kabbalistic mindfulness, almost yoga-like uh, meditation, is to first imagine your forehead muscles, your forehead um, tension relaxing, and get yourself attuned to a posture of soothing and compassion toward other people, which, as we learn both from Buddhist practice and I think also from these texts, that begins also with a kind of self-compassion and self-love, right? That's not, not necessarily egoistic self-love, though, though there's, there's a place for ego in, in life, I, I think, as long as it's kept in check. But um, it's also about how do we have, as the Buddhists teach us, how do we have compassion and love for ourselves enough that we can nurture ourselves so that we can then send that out as spiritual and moral energy to others so even if you come across angry people and i'm sure we never do that we never we, none of us are ever angry ourselves or encounter other angry people right or um, but um, actually this is the perennial human condition soothe and calm them with your goodwill like you're imagining your forehead to be calm for the forehead of the will, meaning the ratzon, meaning keter, which is the font of all rachamim and calm and tranquility, uh, that was my insertion, constantly accepts and soothes the harsh powers, reintegrating them. Right, so there is an idea in Kabbalah of hamtakat hadinim, or the sweetening of the judgments, or the soothing and tr and tranquilizing 
and calming of the negative energies of the harsh of harshness right in both in, in ourselves and in others right so when we're feeling our I'm, I'm i'm inserting this a little bit but it 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 extends from this because because how can we how can just as we just as we can't extend compassion truly to another person if we don't have self compassion uh, not both because it's it takes practice right but also because uh, we ourselves need a little love too right um so too um how can i um how can i um soothe the angry or the harsh forces or the judging forces the demim um until I have reintegrated them and calmed them uh, in myself, just as Keter, the highest of the Sfirot, is like this, let's say, metaphysical pool of tranquility, where when, when the forces of judgment and harshness and anger are reabsorbed into that, that pool of tranquility, they become calmed. Right, they become soothed. So to imagine how that happens in ourselves, right? Induce them. So you should soothe those overwhelmed by anger, right? Or um, don't, don't, um, when possible, don't meet fire with fire. Don't meet anger with anger, because that that will only uh, escalate. Right. Instead, try to soothe them, induce them with goodwill. Of course, of course, there are examples we can talk about 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 how that doesn't always work. And of course, we can we can and 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 of course that's that's also the question of how things manifest in in lower realms of ourselves and and of the world, right? And even of God, right? There is a place for deen, severity, harshness, judgment. Um combat even um uh, uh, within within divinity but it must always be guided at its root by the force of empathy compassion and love right if we are not grounded in rachamim at some level then i could say we would say we lose our true humanity which is that which is an embodiment, a manifestation of divinity. Induce them to goodwill, drawing on great wisdom to extinguish their anger before it transgresses the boundary and causes damage, God forbid. Right? So, in other words, try to soothe the angry person, um, even, even though there are also classic rabbinic statements that say don't try to talk to somebody in the in, in the moment of their anger, and there's probably also wisdom in that too, right? Uh, it takes it takes a special ability to be able to do this, and 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 not all of us are able to do it at at all times anyway. But the question is how 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 is how can this be done both with ourselves? Let's think about it. How can we soothe ourselves? Right, imagining the calming of our foreheads as a as a physical image before our own anger can get the better of us, and we can lose our temper, right, or our 
our um, our limbic system, our amygdala, can take over, and instead instead imagine that our that our forehead represents here. I'm here. I'm 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 cha I'm channeling my amateurish understanding of of the of the neurobiology of this. Right? We can we can we can channel our higher mind. We can channel our our prefrontal cortex mind that where where we where we find empathy as opposed to just being guided by the smoke alarm of the amygdala in ourselves and then also in others model yourself on the will on keter which emanates from the wondrous wisdom in the forehead of the ancient one meaning the even even the higher the higher dimensions even beyond keter from where it soothes everything from there derive the power to be genial with others because if your character is somewhat harsh people will not be soothed maybe they'll even be defensive this is why the mishnah teaches if the spirit of people delights in someone so does the spirit of god and looking down here before we before we turn to some discussion trying to trying to channel com compassion and compassionate and em compassionate behavior and empathy and attitude as much as possible your face should always be shining welcome each person with a friendly countenance Right, that besever panim yafot. It says in the tradition also. Right, that uh, the more we can exude that shining, um, uh, friendly presence of of genuine care and love. Right, whether this is whether this is a kind a kind of care ethics, a kind of relational ethics. Um, it's it. it it affects, it feeds off of, of each other. We feed off of each other. We, it affects our own inner balance and, te and temperament and then affects others as well. And in doing all of that, we are emulating the Rachamim of God. So there's a lot more to talk about here and we will continue with this and the other related PDFs and maybe even something else with that as, as part two of this question of, of of moral moral self transformation and the emotions next time, but but for, for our remaining time, I'm uh, uh, I'm sure there's there are thoughts, questions, burning existential issues that may have been raised by by this. Right? How can we cultivate this this meditation of imagining the calming of our forehead as a kind of way to get in touch? literally with the emotion of tranquility and empathy and compassion um so so I'll, I'll turn it over to alex the moderator yes thank you so much i uh, would love to take a few questions or comments please feel free to use the chat or you can raise a hand and we can call on people and you can unmute and, and speak kind of relating to beth's question about Keter being beyond us um there's also the idea that all of the spherot are in all the spherot. So even when you're in Asiya, there's sort of a keter of Asiya and and each of the spherot. So um beautiful, right? So 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 I so I think right. Um there there's 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 
and 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 um right there's both there's both uh moshe idel's classic um article uh about this in the middle ages of svirot shemeala svirot there are svirot above svirot or or as we see in a lot of different kabbalistic texts there are svirot within svirot within svirot within svirot ad infinitum literally right and we have the svirot inside of ourselves it's like the imprint of our of our psychology that is what it is to be B'Tselem Elohim, right? We we, we manifest the Sfirot, and the Sfirot are part of the world. So 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 there so so there so both the energies are always interconnecting, and each one affects the other. Uh, even as we strive to connect ourselves with this fundamental anchor of Keter as Yud Gimomidot Midot um above all and at the heart of all right let let that be the calm of our forehead let that be at the center of our heart when we place our right hand over our heart in an act of self nurturance and compassion as uh, as the as the wonderful buddhist mindfulness teacher tara brack teaches some of you may be familiar with her work her her teaching um and we also see that same gesture also in, in Luriana Kabbalistic texts as well, like placing the hand on the heart in an act of prayer, um, and and the and the right hand as an act of self nurturing and prayer um, is also in tune with the idea that that the right is understood to symbolize Rachamim, Rachamim even more. Of course, that was because they were biased towards lefties, but that's another story. Thank you. I see something just came in in the chat. I can read it out loud. Uh, it says, I do try every day to treat others as I would treat myself. As you said, we learned that even before kindergarten, but the current Israel-Hamas war is an unsolvable conundrum for me. How do we as decent people, uh, Jews, Israel show compassion for Hamas? question this is this is this is an an an, an intense an intense question and truly uh of of the of inyana de yom of the of the of the of the issues of the day and i and i think that part of how i would at least partially gesture toward that though i though i don't have um uh the full wisdom of an answer to 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 that kind of a question or or even how or even how how we how we if if, if we need to show true empathy toward toward other manifestations of evil in history how do we do that um or how do we do that towards someone who's behaving in a morally reprehensible way in, in all kinds of uh, manifestations right um and i guess part of how i would answer that question is um is that is that just as there is Right, almost Kohelet, like just as there is a time for Dean within God, there is a time for Dean within our humanness, our human selves. But we should never lose our grounding in the in in the Yudgemomidotarachamim. Right, we should never lose our humanity amidst all of it. Right, we should never we should never lose our ability to have um to have um empathy and care and that might not mean uh a one-to-one -one correlation toward toward specific people or groups of people who are who are who are causing severe harm um 
but the grounding of how can we not how can we not lose our um our deepest humanity which is that we which is that we must be compassionate and empathic in this world um or else we lose our humanity right that's not to say that there isn't a place for dean and strength and and the, and the need to 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 um to sometimes uh, uh, rise up, rise up in in Dean and Gibura, right? But but that deep within it must dwell that those that should guide our sense of what it is to be a human being. Beth, I see your hand up. This isn't Kabbalah, but it pertains to the question that was raised. The late Marshall Rosenberg developed a system of nonviolent communication. And in a nutshell, it involved recognizing the common needs that each human being we all share. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, he also was an advocate for the um, self-protective use of force. Because we each get to live and nobody gets to kill us while we just passively, you know, sit still for it. We get to resist. That's part of a human need too. And most human beings would actively resist if someone were attacking them. So that's a more, that's a 20th century perspective on the question about what do we do with this current situation? It, it's a lot easier to have feel compassion for all those people who have no water and whose babies are in incubators being rushed to Egypt. I feel enormous compassion for them. But it's awfully hard for most of us probably to feel compassion for the people who masterminded what set this all off in the first place. Right, right. I, I think, I think, I think that's, I think that's, that's very important and and deep. Um, and and I was, I was just recently also um, uh, uh, re re reading Marshall Rosenberg's book on, on NBC and 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 this and this and this right, nonviolent communication and this and this question and how and how that relates also to self defense. And, as well um i think i think that's i think that's very important right so so it's kind of there it's the dialectic of dean and gavura as protecting the the life um but also the ability to be um always uh, always grounded and open to um to 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 the to the rahamim and the compassion um and and uh right and as as i think we just said in the in the chat this this is these, these are themes that are very much um right are, are very are very much part of of a number of different spiritual traditions um as well um so 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 we so we, we will we will return to this topic so fear not um maybe not this we can return to this this specific element of this topic too but we but but we will return to this question of of grounding ethics in love which actually is also a theme that's argued by one of my philosophical heroes martha nussbaum particularly in her book 
political emotions, why love matters for justice, which is an interesting um, sequel to her book, Upheavals of Thought, the Intelligence of Emotions and the kind of primacy of compassion and empathy and all of that. Great. Thank you so much. Um, we look forward to seeing everyone again same time next week for class number four. And also next Wednesday, um, we just added a new class, Jewish Military Ethics uh, with Rabbi Ian Pear, which will be at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. So maybe you can join me in a VBM doubleheader and attend both classes. Um, thanks, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Valley Beit Midrash podcast. Remember that you can join our email list at valleybeitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs, learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.